With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're listening to Bruce DeTorres on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. This is World Stage, exposing the tyrannies and exploring our power with deep dives into history, current events, dangerous trends, and the nature of reality. Before I introduce my guests, I want to talk for a minute about a new post at Vigilant News on December 8th, titled, Robert Kennedy Jr. Unmasks the Principal Villains Behind the COVID Cover-Up. According to the CDC, the COVID-19 pandemic has claimed the lives of over 1.15 million Americans. However, after nearly four years of death and economic carnage, there's been an underwhelming effort to get to the bottom of where it originated, so this may never happen again. Independent presidential candidate Robert Kennedy Jr. attests that COVID-19 originated from a laboratory in Wuhan, China, and that a deliberate cover-up by many powerful individuals who stood to benefit financially and professionally obscured the truth from the world. Mary Holland asked Kennedy in a recent interview, if you could depose any one of these cover-up co-conspirators, which ones would you depose? What would you ask? Listed below are the principal villains, according to Robert Kennedy Jr., Anthony Fauci, Francis Collins, Jeremy Farrar, and a number of others, including Bill Gates. That's at Vigilant News. You can also find it at vigilantfox.substack. And it's loaded with uh, an uh, item itemizes their actions that would inspire Mr. Kennedy to depose them under oath. With me this hour are Nick Bryant and Dr. Lois Lee. Nick wrote The Franklin Scandal, a story of power brokers, child abuse and betrayal. He co-wrote Confessions of a D.C. Madam, the politics of sex, lies and blackmail. He investigated the Jeffrey Epstein Network, and he hosts the Nick Bryant podcast on YouTube. This year, 2023, he launched EpsteinJustice.com, a nonprofit dedicated to getting justice for the victims of Jeffrey Epstein and his co-conspirators. Dr. Lois Lee is the world's leading expert in rescuing child sex trafficking victims. She founded in 1979 Children of the Night. Now.org, a nonprofit that has rescued over 12,000 American children from sex trafficking or prostitution, more than all other such programs combined. Dr. Lee holds a PhD in sociology and anthropology, a Juris Doctor in law, and is an active member of the California State Bar. Thank you very much, Lois and Nick, for joining me again today. How are you both? I'm good. Thank you. I'm good, Bruce. I'm glad. And I'm glad to have you both here to interrogate you. Um, <laughs> first thing I need to hear from your lips is how are you working together? Well, Do you want I to start founded, uh, I founded uh, Epstein Justice. Um, it's a non 501c3 nonprofit. And um, over the years, I've been researching and writing about child trafficking for about 20 years. 
And um, I've come across Lois a number of times, and actually I've interviewed her before. And I asked her to be on the advisory board of Epstein Justice, and uh, she graciously agreed. So that's how we came together. And, and I mm-hmm. have been um, was called as an expert witness or on hold as an expert witness from Brad, who was the first lawyer who went after Epstein in civil cases for and representing young girls who were victims. And uh, they needed me to explain because I guess um, Dershowitz was saying that these girls were whores and so they weren't credible. And so they needed my expert testimony that girls that had been sexually traumatized or had a loss of sexual dignity did typically move into the sex industry because um, they were readied for it. And so I followed the case. I've been in contact with the attorneys. I've been in contact with the victims. I've tried to place some of the victims on the college lecture circuit um, to tell their stories. And uh, I've supported them in in various endeavors and I'm still in contact with them. And I'm a true believer in the fact that uh, this story needs to be told and the men who abuse them need to be exposed. Thank you. And Lois, while I got you, give give me a few minutes of the beginning, middle, and end, the inspiration and the the big work that your organization is doing, Children of the Night. Well, in 1975, as a graduate student at UCLA, I initiated one of the first lawsuits against the police department, the Los Angeles Police Department, for not arresting an equal number of customers. Um, because they only arrested the men and not the girls. And in that courtroom, attorneys began to combine the cases, so I'd meet 30 or 40 young prostitutes. Also concurrently was the Hillside Strangler murders. And uh, several girls had been killed, and the girls had information, and they would talk to me because they were afraid to talk to the police. And they had other problems, like they wanted to get off heroin, but they didn't want to stop prostituting. And I became involved in their lives. And ultimately, one of those young ladies, an 18-year-old girl who was a heroin addict operating an escort service, called me one night about a young girl she sent to meet a man, and and he was no longer answering the phone, and he had changed the address, and there engaged my pursuit of the Hillside Strangler. I located him. The police refused to respond. And at 3 o'clock in the morning when it was obvious that I was in the police station and they were not going to do anything, I called a reporter, Warren Wilson from KMBC, and said, get up. We got another one. And he took a camera crew out, and I led that investigation. I became so angry um, with the police that I had said in another interview, if you're involved in the prostitution business and you think you know who the Hillside Strangler is and you don't want to talk to the police, don't call them. Call me and put my home phone number up. I was 27 years old, and uh, thank God that ABC, NBC, and KFWB Radio gave me full-time reporters, and my home became the hotline to the underground of pornographers, organized crime, madams, pimps, about tips on the Hillside Strangler, and the police followed us. I coordinated the witnesses. I testified as an expert in the case, and that changed my life. I was really dedicated to becoming a college professor living at the beach, spending my summers in Paris, writing a book on prostitution. And um, I I could not let this go because no one would help them. And then I found children on the street and I took them to social services. And I was told that they would not put them in foster homes because prostitution was against the law. 
nor would they, uh, juvenile court justices put them in treatment programs because the crimes were not against property. They were only hurting themselves. And so these kids clearly became uh, victims between the, tra the, the cracks of the system. And the system started referring to them as, well, those are your kids. And if you can imagine that over 250 kids came through my home in three years, these kids were so repugnant to the traditional social service agencies, not one person came to investigate to see what was going on. Ultimately, out of that, I drew the attention of President Reagan, and uh, President Reagan's kitchen cabinet helped me fund and develop Children of Night. And since then, you've rescued more than 12,000, more than all other such programs combined. Mm -hmm robustly marching in, into the future. And I want to uh, allow either and both of you right now to tell me what you've prepared. What were you anticipating teaching me and talking about today? I want to give the reins and the floor to you both and really hear you out right now about um, Epstein Justice, I guess, presumably first, and then what you might be doing separately, please. Well, I'd like I just to wanna... say that... Go ahead, Lars. Go ahead, Nick. <laughs> oh, i just like and... to say that in many ways, things have not changed. I mean, I had I fought to create, you know, to, to educate law enforcement that many of these girls working as prostitutes were children. And um, they had to accept that. They didn't want to, but they had to accept that. And they were having sex with men, and some of them were prominent men, and I forced them to prosecute those men. And it was a very hard battle that I really fought almost alone. And without the help of the press, I would have never survived. They would have buried me. Um, and, then, and then the whole thing about um, prostitutes and madams and call girls having sex with members of law enforcement and politicians and and famous individuals and and the girls being tossed aside um the epstein just falls right into it nick came out to fight this challenge of these young women who were clearly sexually exploited and raped and sometimes even tortured and uh, i had to join his struggle because it was the same fight and it and to, to me I, i've been doing this for 45 years in january to me this is this is my last round and uh, I want to I want to see this happen. You, Nick, you were you started to say. Well, I uh, I've written about lower socioeconomic children in the United States for since 1990. And in 1995, I had a book published called America's Children Trying for Tragedy, where I looked at the problems facing lower socioeconomic children in the United States. And seven years later. Um, as a freelance writer living in New York City, I came across the Franklin Trafficking Network. And um, I was pretty stunned that that law enforcement had covered it up, that federal law enforcement, the uh, FBI and Department of Justice had, had covered up this huge trafficking network. And actually, I think it was probably bigger than Epstein's trafficking network. I think there were more kids involved. It was around for 10 to 12 years, whereas Epstein, I believe, was trafficking children for up to 25 years. And oh, I couldn't yeah. believe that federal law enforcement would cover up crimes that are so heinous. And um, and then that's when I jumped in with 
with both feet. And I wrote the Franklin scandal, which uh, was not, <laughs> it's interesting. The Franklin scandal is probably selling more now than it did initially. It was, uh, it was caused a tremendous amount of cognitive dissonance, like Jeffrey Epstein is causing a lot of cognitive dissonance. It's um, people don't want to believe that facets of their government are covering up child trafficking. And the, the bottom line with that is when someone is covering up child trafficking, they're aiding and abetting child trafficking. And if we knew an individual or a group that was aiding and abetting child trafficking, we would call the authorities on them immediately. Um, we would never trust anyone that is aiding and abetting yeah. child trafficking, whether they're an individual or a group. And we have, we have we have a we have a good handful of minutes right here, Nick. If you wouldn't mind, would you would you lay out the broad strokes, nuts and bolts, the the, the basic framework of what was the the Franklin Network and the Franklin scandal? Well, the Franklin Network was uh, almost a carbon copy of the Epstein Network. Um, it was the epicenter was the, most of the kids were coming from. Um, Nebraska, but but a lot of them were coming from the East Coast too, and I've got a number of the flight receipts of there, there were two primary pimps that ran that network, um, Lawrence E. King and also uh, Craig Spence. Craig Spence was a DC power broker, and he had a house that was wired for audiovisual blackmail, and he was also an intelligence asset. It was and, wired for audio and visual blackmail. Yes, much like Epstein's. Uh, home in Florida was wired for audiovisual blackmail. His home in uh, New York was wired for audiovisual blackmail. And his island was wired for audiovisual blackmail. His place in New Mexico was probably wired for audiovisual blackmail, like the rest of his um, places. But I haven't. That's Epstein. That, all that was Epstein. You just described. But I'm, I'm, I'm showing the similarities between Epstein and Franklin. Well, I just so, want to keep track of who you were talking about. So with um, the kids would be flown to Washington, D.C., and I managed there was a grand jury that covered this up. And uh, I don't know if your listeners and viewers are familiar with how grand juries function, but a special prosecutor is chosen to present evidence to grand jurors. And grand jurors are just regular citizens that have shown up for jury duty and have been funneled to a grand jury. When people hear the, this, the term grand jury, they think like the gods of jurisprudence have spoken. But Grand juries are really contingent upon what the special prosecutor wants to show the grand jurors. And he calls the witnesses and he shows the evidence. And there was a Supreme Court justice in New York who said that grand jurors have so much power or that special prosecutors have so much power over grand jurors that they could get them to indict a ham sandwich. And both with the Franklin scandal those grand there were two grand juries in nebraska that found that there was no child abuse and actually two of the kids that had been abused were indicted for perjury and with the epstein grand jury in uh florida um there were five kids that were on record with the palm beach police department but the palm beach police department knew of 17 more so there they knew of 20 that special prosecutor knew of 23 epstein victims underage victims but he only called one and he skewered her. That's why that grand jury did not find Jeffrey Epstein guilty of any type of child abuse. So, like I said, they're carbon copies of each other. You've got kids being flown around. Um, you've got blackmail. You've got connections 
to very to people very high in in different types of law enforcement, FBI, Department of Justice, and and also intelligence. And then you've got major aberrations in the legal system. Allow me to reintroduce both of you, Dr. Lois Lee, founder of ChildrenOfTheNight.org, and Nick Bryant, founder of EpsteinJustice.com. And now here is important information from TNT Radio. TNT Radio's James Freeman. We have new revised figures from the Office for National Statistics showing that legal, that's not illegal, that's legal, net migration to the UK has witnessed one of the largest increases on record. Three quarters of a million additional people are now living in the UK in the space of just one year. A huge number that comes just three years after we left the European Union. Now, I didn't vote for Brexit um, because of immigration. I voted because of democracy, but millions did vote because they think too many people are coming into the country, which makes what the government has allowed to happen an absolute two fingers up to the people and democracy. Another example, if we needed another, of how the government does the exact opposite to what the people want and vote for. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Internet. Internet. A stream online. TNTRadio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. This is Bruce Tataris. This is World Stage. With me are Dr. Lois Lee and Nick Bryant talking about Jeffrey Epstein and other horrid, horrible people. Um... (laughs) I want to explore two things, and you you respond to which one you want to maybe talk about first. Lois, I was in, I was intrigued by you describing some of the customers of some of the uh, prostitutes. So I'd love a, a fleshing out of at the local level in most major American cities or towns, as you've come to see it over the last many decades, what is the level of corruption at that level? Or does it logically make sense to for us three to continue uh, exploring uh, since Epstein Justice was created earlier in the year, Nick, the uh, its status, its momentum, and what people can do? So... I, uh, ladies first, Doctor Doctor Lee, would you in, maybe indulge me along those lines I just described, please? 
Well, it happens with city officials, county officials. They don't oftentimes get as much press or the press is not as big or it doesn't run for as long because everybody doesn't know who they are. Certainly on the state level, um, I've had many young ladies um, who were having sex with politicians who said that these politicians want to help you and and uh, you need to meet with them. And it made me very nervous. And they would call me on the weekends and ask me to come to their offices. And I would say no. And they would ask me to go to lunch. And I'd say no. I just, and it's one of the reasons I just, and, and I think that because of the philosophy of, of that I learned from President Reagan was the fact is that government really doesn't have a role in terms of 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 helping these people um this is a private initiative with volunteerism and private donations and i don't want to be involved in government and i think it's very dangerous i think it would be very dangerous for me to be in a in a, a situation that could be defined on their terms so i've really avoided all of those um there's been times that they've reached out i just i don't meet with them i don't have really any political involvement whatsoever um uh, ex except outside of the Reagan administration is really kind of amusing when you think about it because he's probably the least likely uh, group that you would think that would support something like this. But I did receive the President's Volunteer Action Award. It was a medal he presented to me at the White House. I lunched with him. And when he spoke about uh, prostitutes, he put them in the same category as uh, Vietnam vets and the disabled. and. And um, it was the first time in my career anyone had ever done that. Um, they always were afraid to use the word. And, and I was always struck by that. And so I, I just, I stayed close. And is that because in the 1970s and then as your involvement, helping real human beings tangibly, the overwhelming interaction you had with either police or any you know court or any politician was was of, of a kind that re repulsed you uh, no it was a kind that scared me that they would try and drag me into something uh, i remember once speaking to a police organization uh, that later they were involved with a woman who they had been involved before i had even spoken to them they were involved with a madam who's uh, almost all of her customers were politicians and police officers here in Los Angeles. She um, was ultimately arrested and had to do some jail time. Uh, she was a lovely lady. She was not a street prostitute. Um, there was no stealing of money. There was no drugs or anything like that. Um, but they had used my name when the grand jury investigation came down as that I had introduced them. And I, in fact, did not introduce them. They knew her before. I was speaking at a local uh, men's uh, police support group, and um, they had invited her to the next meeting. And so they made it look like I brought her in. And then there was an event at the police academy that I went to uh, with her, not with her, but I was independently invited, and she was too. And then they separated her from me, and a police official drove off with her, and then the other police were going to escort me home. Um, and I said, I can drive my own car. I'm, you know, I'm not drinking. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. I can drive my own car. Um, you have to be very, very careful. Um, I just did not trust them. I did not, you know, and, and there were other police officers, vice cops who are like the lowest ranking people of law enforcement who would share uh, the same information and the knowledge and the disgust 
with their involvement in prostit- with the involvement of police and high-ranking officials. I even had one politician ask me, he wanted to give me child pornography and he wanted me to go into the adult bookstores because I had come to know those people through the Hillside Strangler investigation and he wanted me to put the child pornography on their shelves. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And uh, so I... Why I just, did he I, want you to do that? They were going to arrest him. They were going to close okay. the, the bookstore. Okay. So I didn't I, want to be I, part of anything like that. I just, I, right, I've, right, I've, right. I've played everything very straight and very narrow, and I know who I can trust and who I can't trust. And and right. uh, I just don't get involved in that. I don't hang out at those parties. And um, uh, You're a wise woman. My reading of history and the potential for corruption uh, is... Uh, uh, similarly uh, on guard, although I don't, I've, I've never handled anything as as intense as as you have. Nick, what are your what's the, what's the next thing you would teach me about Epstein justice, or can you satisfy my curiosity? Since you you launched it, I think in the spring, if you uh, wouldn't mind giving me kind of you know a a, a report on its major milestones and uh, and status of uh, reasons to be cheerful about the effort. What kind of progress, what kind of challenges, please? Well, actually, we, we became a 501c3 in uh, July. Okay. So we've been a 501c3 for uh, approximately six months. And the thing about Epstein Justice, and Lois was touching up on this, it, it is not Republican, it is not Democrat, it is not liberal, it is not conservative. Epstein Justice wants to bring everyone together. The thing about it is our politics right now are hugely polarized. Uh, The right uh, is very suspicious of the left, the left is very suspicious of the right. But there's one thing that we can agree upon, and that is that the perpetrators, actually two things we can agree upon, that the perpetrators in the Epstein network should be brought to justice and that the government shouldn't be covering up child trafficking. We need an explanation as to why the government is covering up child trafficking. Um, We need that explanation because we don't want it to happen again. Um, It happened with the Franklin scandal and it's happened with other trafficking networks that I've investigated. Uh, Epstein, the thing about Epstein is everybody knows about Epstein um, and every American knows that it stinks. Epstein, child trafficking is a a disease in our society. And there's three stages um, with the disease. There, There has to be awareness, there has to be acceptance, and then there has to be action. So the awareness is there. Everyone in America or just about everyone in America knows that the Epstein case stinks. The next step is acceptance. Acceptance that there are facets of our government, very powerful facets of our government that have covered up child trafficking. Um, And then, and I think that we're there and we can help people get there. And then the third facet is action. And we've already had one, put on one demonstration um, during Ghislaine Maxwell's trial in new york city and we plan on further uh demonstrations and we're making some inroads in washington dc too there's a number of people i was telling lois this before we went on there's a number of people in law enforcement that are really sickened by how the government has covered up uh 
the Jeffrey Epstein Trafficking Network. And I believe that there's a huge, huge segment of Americans that are sickened by it. And our job is to congeal people and bring them together, um, regardless if they're right or they're left. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and this can be done. It was done. Uh, it was done in the equal rights movement. It was done in the women's rights movement. It was done in the gay rights movement. This has to be this is going to be a momentous task. But we've seen social movements work in the past um, with dedicated people. And that's what this is about. It's a social movement. So when someone goes to EpsteinJustice.com, how do you educate them about um, how do you educate them about what what's possible? And are you actively soliciting uh, donations? Because you can, because you're a nonprofit. We are. You can go to EpsteinJustice.com. There is a form letter that that we've uh, written and the individual puts her name on it and where they're from, and it automatically goes to their federal legislators. Um, and then there's various pages on the website that show exactly what we're about and exactly what we're, we plan to do. There's a page that shows uh, one of our former demonstrations, and there's also a page that has the advisory board. Of, uh, one of the persons on the advisory board is uh, Lois. And there's also a donation page. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's also a contact page where we provide people with um, suggestions about how they can help Epstein justice. And that's where we're at at this point. And I clicked on those months ago when I had you on, maybe back it was in uh, June or July, maybe August, I had you on, Nick. But for folks who are not in front of their computer, what you, you mentioned the form as the first thing out of the gate that folks, the letter that folks could write to their representatives from from memory or maybe you've got it memorized what is that letter to uh, one's representatives basically that letter says that we demand that there be justice with with uh the purpose of jeffrey epstein that they be brought to justice and that we demand why the government is or facets of the government are covering up child trafficking and the people just have to put their uh, name in and where mm-hmm. they're from and automatically go to their local, uh, their federal legislators and also their their senators. And do you map out um, various activities that Epstein Justice is going to be able to do when you hit uh, raise enough funds for it so folks can see like, this is how much I want to support it or this is how much I want to support it. Do you also describe uh, the F, the results of demonstrations and and what does a demonstration look like and where are the demonstrations conducted the demonstrations our next demonstration is going to be in washington dc at the department of justice uh people can go to the epstein justice website and they can look at our uh first demonstration which was at the glenn maxwell trial it was backed by uh 64 anti-trafficking organizations and we also have a petition um that's backed by 55 anti-trafficking anti-exploitation organizations so there's a number of anti-trafficking anti-exploitation organizations that are behind us and as i said earlier it's just a matter of congealing people um Mm -hmm. getting them to focus and ultimately as i said action is the final piece of of ridding a 
our society of this particular pathology. When is that next demonstration at the Department of Justice? Well, we're putting it together. It's um, we're at this point we're raising funds. Um, we're raising funds for that, and we're also raising funds for uh, the media. We're going to need um, media infiltration. We've had some luck getting on major podcasts, um, and I was on the Sean Ryan podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it had over 800,000 views, and that has been a wellspring of people that are interested in, in doing what we're doing um, or being part of Epstein Justice. So at this point, we are growing our base, and mm -hmm. once that base has achieved a critical mass, then we will go out and the demonstrations will start. Is it going to be centrally organized or do you have a model of either regions or different state kind of chapters or anything like that? Well, we definitely encourage people to be autonomous. But the thing about Epstein Justice is we have no political affiliations. We have no political affi affiliations with the right. We have no political affiliations with the left. If people want to follow us um, and, and they want to put on demonstrations, um, they have to and, and they want Epstein Justice to be behind them. Um, mm. This isn't a movement about uh, the left or the right. This is a movement about being doing the right thing. And that's where we're at. That's that's our primary concern is um, that we certainly don't have problems with autonomous groups springing out of Epstein justice. But in order for someone to be backed by Epstein justice, it's it's not going to be a political movement. Um, it's going to right. be a movement to take back the rights of children. And it sounds like the pressure point, tell me if I'm wrong, is the federal Department of Justice because the case uh, most easily would be made on behalf of the victims at the federal level. Am I right about that? Well, it's the federal government. It's the Department of Justice and FBI that has covered it up so far. So, um, but the Department of Justice is part of the executive branch. And we've seen four presidential administrations. Uh, we saw uh, Bush one, Obama, um, Trump and Biden. None of them have pushed for an investigation into the Jeffrey Epstein network for, for, for presidential administrations, two Democratic, two Republican. And of the 535 leg federal legislators, there's only been one, and that's relatively recent, uh, Marsha Blackburn, that has asked to subpoena the flight records for uh, for for Epstein. And actually, she's been shot down by uh the House, the Senator Durbin of the House Judiciary Committee. So again, we have politics playing a role in what should just be to doing the right thing, the decent thing, and 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 that's protecting children and making sure that children's abuse isn't covered up. I'd like you know, to interject my, one thing uh, that please. when Brad was doing the lawsuits, is it Brad Edwards? Is that his last name? I don't speak to yes. him frequently. Yes. And he was the first civil lawyer, the key civil lawyer who was trying to interview prominent people. He's the one who actually did the, the civil suit against the prince in London. Um, and he said no one would talk to him. Everybody slammed down the phone. 
And the only person that picked up the phone and would speak to him was President Trump. And he said to him, ask me whatever you want to know, I'll tell you everything. And so that was a real breakthrough. I don't know. Beyond that, I don't I can't say that he did anything else, but Lois, I've got a I've got a I've got a breakthrough here and reintroduce you, Dr. Lois Lee of childrenofthenight.org, Nick Bryant of EpsteinJustice.com. And here is important information from TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Last week, Elon Musk, the owner of X, was asked about the boycott. Uh, of advertisers like Disney and Apple who have pulled off the site after he uh, retweeted an anti-Semitic tweet and for some other reasons. And uh, he didn't hold back in his response. Uh, Don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If if somebody's gonna try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, go fuck yourself. But go fuck yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. And he says that if the boycott forces X to close up shop, the public will know who to blame. What this advertising boycott is uh, is, is going to do, it's, it's going to kill the company. And you think that the company... I, I, but, and the whole world will know that those advertisers killed the company, and we will document it in great detail. But they're going to say that, they're going to say, Elon, that you killed the company because you said these things and that they were inappropriate things and that they didn't feel comfortable on the platform, right? That's that's what they're gonna say. And let's see how Earth responds to that. Earth to Elon, only time will tell. Thanks for giving me a minute, I'm Steve Malzberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. Are you ready to help your family get prepared for the unexpected? Here we go! Ladybug and Cat Noir know how important it is to be ready. Because you never know when Hawk Moth is going to strike or a disaster will hit. And you don't need miraculous powers. Just put those planning skills you already have to good use. Make a plan that will help you and your family be ready when emergencies happen. Ready Kids can help. Get started at ready.gov slash kids. You're with Bruce DeTorres and World Stage on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And with me are Dr. Lois Lee of ChildrenOfTheNight.org and Nick Bryan of EpsteinJustice.com. Nick and Lois, what do you like to add to the conversation we've already had that might flesh out for folks who uh, don't know the extent of either the corruption, the amount of Young people on the street caught up in prostitution and um, pornography, and worse is the extent of the sex trafficking. Who, 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 and what are the major gears of the engine of the sex trafficking? How would you answer that question, Lois? The major gears. Um, yeah. To the extent that it's organized, to the extent that it's endemic, systemic. I don't think uh, that it's organized in an organized crime kind of way. I think they're individuals uh, who have a collective group of people who support their efforts. And and they have protection from the customers um, who, who they, they, they provide services to. I'll give you an example of in Washington, D.C. I've worked very closely with the vice detectives there. And this is many years ago. Um, 
they wanted to go in and raid a nightclub where they were told by Capitol Police, who often work security, you know, they to do their extra, their second job because they don't get paid enough um, in these clubs. And they said, you know, every politician is coming into these clubs where these boys are nude and they're young boys dancing on stage. And so the vice squad went to the police chief and asked the police chief for a search warrant. And the search warrant said, and the police chief said, I don't sign search warrants for Friday and Saturday nights. And he signed it, he, she, I don't remember who it was, signed it for Sunday night. And when they went in, they didn't find a whole lot. And the Capitol Police said, boy, you should have been here last night. So to show that local police, that there's a there's an organized system of law enforcement and prosecutors and politicians. Um, but I think it's loosely organized. I don't believe that it's an organized network. And the trafficking itself um, is really from despicable kinds of people who have access to kids, who connect to one another, and and um, and and they connect. But in terms of it being organized crime, when you think of hmm. as the mafia, that doesn't mm-hmm. exist. How ubiquitous is it? If are you at this after you know so many years pursuing and helping folks abused, caught up in it? Do you hear? Oh, a city or a town has X amount of population. It how how certain might you be that? They've got this kind of help from local law enforcement. Well, uh, if you look at small towns, I've worked with young women who lived in small towns, a a young woman who was, uh, her father was a doctor and it was a very small town and she worked in the local brothel and I think she was 16. And uh, one night when she was working, someone said, oh, look, your father's coming. And he was a physician and so they had to hide her. Um, so that wasn't organized. I mean, it was a, a small time madam who was, you know, had some men who she was, you know, probably a prostitute herself. And mm-hmm. as she aged out, introduced young women to this as an opportunity uh, to make money. And, and sadly, um, it's one of the most um, lucrative possession, professions for women, or it has been until recently, where women have been allowed to assume uh, executive positions in corporations and higher educations. I, I just, I, I want to keep soliciting, and I keep putting it back on on both of you, and you graciously indulge me in, uh, you know, sharing with me what what I need to know and what the audience needs to know about both of your great efforts, and it's not just to ultimately. You haven't mentioned seeking donations at all. I'm the one who's now bringing it up again, but it's to the extent that it could fuel and fund your your um, your efforts. I think I want both of you to kind of re-describe. Nick, you kind of answered the the question already, so I'll ask Doctor Doctor Lee. I'll ask you, Lois. What do you want and need in terms of more support or more donations, and for what? milestones going forward what uh what do what are you what are your targets or goals for the next three six nine months where do you want children of the night or epstein justice to be in a year well um children of the night our our budget is two million dollars a year there's no donation that's too large or too small Uh, we have many many large and we have many many small donations and you can go directly to our website childrenofthenight.org and donate there 
Um, our money goes to direct services. 87% is spent on the care and supervision of children and young people who are involved and trapped into prostitution. Uh, we rescue them from pimps. We stabilize them with rental assistance. We relocate them for their safety. We get them public health insurance, mental health services. We do everything, tattoo removal. Um, and then we, we have a high school program that we tutor online for the GED. We have a high school graduation every year. We fly them in from all over the country. And um, then many of them move on and we place them in higher education and we help with resumes and jobs. And our line is from the streets to the boardroom and um, there is no ceiling. So that's where our money goes, and I constantly need money. I have to raise that $2 million fresh every year. I have a lot of repetitive donors, um, and uh, that allows me to continue to do my work, and that's, that's what I want to do. And I've started a little bit of a scholarship fund for young women who are taking classes who are in school, and, and some of the grants are like $900 or $1,000, and they go directly to the, to the universities for tuition. And um, I've created an alumni board that I hope will carry out my work, who are women who have come through the program, who are PhDs and accountants and bankers and firefighters and first responders who are on that board, who now get to select the recipients for some scholarship money. And I hope that grows, that that would be my legacy, is to leave that in place. Describe, please, how the hotline works, because I think that is just such a tangible, if not dramatic, uh, example of the help that's out there for kids in you know suffering right now. Well, someone can call one eight hundred five five one thirteen hundred extension zero, and there's someone there, a case manager, not just a hotline worker. It's an experienced case manager that's going to take your case. They're not going to give you a phone number to call. And uh, if you're screaming and you need to get away from a pimp, we will ask you, would it be safe for you to tell him you could get into an Uber in order to uh, go see another customer? Um, can you get out of there? Do you want to involve the police? No, you don't want to involve the police. Okay, can let's, let's see if we can, he'll let you get into the Uber to go meet a man to bring him back some more money and we'll send an Uber. And oftentimes he'll follow the Uber. We have locations where you can go in one door and you go upstairs and you go out another street on another door and there's another Uber picking you up. And depending on we're making phone calls to family and to domestic violence clinics and we can get you to the airport. We have a great relationship with TSA in terms of getting them through security. And we verify there's someone on the other end and get them them back home. Um, not always home. Maybe it's to another family member. Maybe it's to a domestic violence uh, uh, program. Um, and th the work doesn't stop there. It's, it's a continual because they're going to need medical care. They're going to need psychological care. They're going to need trauma intervention. Um, they need and, to- and, and, kind of, and, and you're also describing something that might, uh, it sounds very unique to how you first started, which was this circumvents the police. This is a phone number that these, these scared kids can call that uh, avoids the police because there are pitfalls to calling the police. The police will either, sometimes I've learned from you and other conversations with you, police will hold uh, a prostitute or someone in this situation until charges can be brought against somebody and they're treated like uh, you know, a criminal, right? So this is kind of the beauty, if not the secret sauce of, of your procedures. 
Right. Um, and, and I mean, sometimes they're held in solitary confinement in juvenile hall until they testify against the pimp and then they're dumped into foster care. And then they run from foster care right. and then their social workers call us and say, I have right. to write right. a report to the court. How do you get this child to stay? So right. we're, social workers are learning to be more dependent upon us. We used to be able to just take children from, from parents um, and then they changed the laws and the FBI wants you to call a specific number so that they can intervene and they get first dibs in terms of how can this girl help them with their job. It's I really, really unfair it's, it's on both ends. So, um, and I, ju I, I just, uh, you know, just, uh, just managing time and I want to give Epstein justice equal justice of time, Lois, and I'm sure you're, all, you're in agreement with that. I'm just seeing what a great left punch and right punch the two of you are because what childrenofthenight.org does is so tangible right now immediately for for uh, children who, and young adults to 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 eradicate themselves from a clear and present danger from the exact uh point of it and epstein justice nick is this i hope relentless you've got the tip of the spear touching the justice department and every ounce of effort that epstein justice makes i hope just leans and just pushes and pushes and pushes on that spear with more and more support from more and more americans to to cause something to give nick how do you how, how would you uh, reply to that uh, metaphor and analogy of uh, what what bruce says you're doing with epstein justice well what's really important and you did talk about uh, donations are going to be important. I've been, uh, I've been following and investigating Epstein since uh, 2012. And there isn't one major media in the country that has called for justice. The media has been very good at digging up salacious dirt about when Bill Gates met Jeffrey Epstein and what they had for dinner in 2011. But none of the major media have called for justice. And that's ultimately what we're going to have to do is make, as I said earlier, a movement that's going to call for justice. We cannot let facets of our government uh, continue to cover up child trafficking. That's one thing that the government should not be doing. And there are so many issues that are facing children today. Lois has just named a number of them. And how can we trust a government? To correct these issues for our children if there's if it's going to be covering up child trafficking um as i said earlier we would never trust an individual or a group or entity that was was covering up child trafficking or aiding and abetting child trafficking so ultimately we are going to have to can as i said earlier congeal americans but the media is going to be important. And, and I believe that the media will eventually come aboard or, or some facets of the media. Um, we have a number of anti-trafficking organizations behind us. Uh, as I said earlier, for the protest we put on during the Glenn Maxwell trial, we had 64 anti-trafficking and anti-exploitation organizations behind us. We're going to need more effort from them too. Hmm. Uh, and we're going to have to get our message out to America. And I think that it's a message that's easily digestible. Just more people have to have to hear this message of Epstein justice. And I think showing, given what the, the amount of interest that we've had 
when I've done larger podcasts, um, there, there are a lot of people that really want to correct this. And as I said earlier, there are people in law enforcement that are appalled by what's happened with this Epstein cover-up. And, and well, they so, want to come hmm. over too. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's something hopeful about the, the statistics, believe it or not, that you've got on the homepage about the number of women, girls and boys, who are now women and men, who've been molested, that if they galvanize, they they would that group would be bigger than either Republican or Democrat Party. And so it occurs to me that it's a function of overcoming the shame it's to have the courage to say, I want Epstein justice because something like this happened to me. Now, I don't know if that's smarter or not. Nick, what's your opinion about what, you know, is it easier to galvanize just anybody for the sake of justice? And in the name of citizenship, in the name of what American citizenship is supposed to be, holding our representatives' feet to the fire, um, is that the path of least resistance? And what, you know, well, try to inspire everybody to pursue justice, but is it a fantasy to think like, Boy, if we could get the those who've been abused to overcome the shame of, of hiding in the silence. What are your thoughts about any of that? Actually, there are some survivor groups that have reached out to us. According to the Centers for Disease Control, 25% of American girls have been molested underage. Um, underage American girls have been molested. And, and that's uh, a big some, umbrella. I mean, molested, could he, that even means raped. I mean, there's a lot in, in that figure, right? There's a lot. And uh, and I think that this is and and many experts think that that figure is low. And according to the Centers for Disease Control, seven to eight percent of seven to eight percent of uh, underage boys have been molested. So, as you said, w there's millions of people um, that are harboring this. And there is shame. Um, there is cognitive dissonance. But these things can be overcome. As I said earlier, this is a movement, and the civil rights movement, when it began, people thought it had a snowball's chance in hell. Uh, the women's rights movement, uh, the gay rights movement, this is another movement to take back our children and, and to make sure that there's no more Epsteins in, in the future of American children. I think that it's very limiting to put the burden on those who have been raped um, yes. or abused or molested, because I don't think they have to come forward and admit it and hurt family and friends and tear apart their family. I think that many of us who have not had those experiences need to join them. And uh, people can guess for themselves who has and who hasn't. Um, it needs to be camouflaged. They need to be joined by people who are not afraid to speak out. But again, because of the shame, many people are afraid that people will think that they've been raped or that they were a prostitute if they join in this movement. And that's the biggest hurdle that we have to overcome. Well, I'm glad you that you, you you said that, Lois, because I don't I don't study this full time. I don't I don't you know, I don't think about it full time. And I was groping for, wow, you know, if I were an activist like you, if I were, you know, uh, uh, otherwise involved or, or, you know, related to it.
we have just a minute or two left. Um, what are your what are final thoughts? Where can people follow you, Dr. Lois? And where can they follow you, Nick? Childrenofthenight.org. And I hope you go there and you click programs and you look and you see the videos of my staff in action, rescuing kids from pimps and getting them to the hospital and helping them with resumes. And Nick? Epsteinjustice.com. Yes, and, and also, also I'll throw in Nick Bryan, NYC. Dot com, right? That's your site? That's that's my personal website, and you can access EpsteinJustice.com from my personal website. Dr. Lois Lee and Nick Bryant, thank you very much for being with me today. Always an honor, and keep up the great work. You are heroic and inspiring. This is TNT. TNT.